You are now listening to the Legends Lingo Podcast, presented by StudentUnionSports.com. Here are your hosts, Al and Powder. All right, everybody, welcome back in Legends Lingo Podcast, episode 220, presented by StudentUnionSports.com. Make sure to check out everything going on on StudentUnionSports.com right now from podcasts, the blogs, and everything else going on. Last week, last week's guest, Andrew Diaz, cranks out a ton of blogs about movies, about sports, about pretty much everything that's going on in the world right now. We have Bryce Hopwood and his jump shot, and it's just, it looks absolutely ridiculous. Like, come on, Hoppa, fix your jump and pl- jumper, please. As you can see, my Boston accent came out there, so, you know, that's what it is. Potter will be on in a minute or two. He's just running a little bit behind because of dinner. We do have another guest on with us this week. We have Mike Cadlick from CLNS Media. Covers the Patriots and sports betting for CLNS Media and is the co-host of the Patriots Beat podcast along with Alex Barth. Mike, good to have you. How are you doing? I'm good, Al. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, definitely some some crazy times, both good and bad, in the Boston sports realm. So happy to travel up with you. So thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course, anytime. Hopefully this will be the first of many times that you'll be on with us and uh, chopping it for up. Sure. But yeah, a lot's gone down. So the Patriots just had their draft. My opinion, I think they had a really good draft, and I'm going to get into my reasons why. That's why we brought Mike here, because he does cover the Patriots extensively. He even got the chance to interview Juju Smith-Schuster earlier today, so we're definitely going to talk about that and pick his brain with that topic. We're also going to talk about the Celtics. They have advanced to the Eastern Conference semifinals since the last time we recorded, and they played Game 1 against the Philadelphia 76ers and came home with a loss. The Boston Bruins... Uh, yeah, you know, the Bruins, they, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about they that. Did that. I, they, they did, did that. Thing. They did that. I might've, uh, you know, counted them into the second round a little too soon. So I, I'll take, I'll throw my apology out there. And the Red Sox are actually over 500 as May approaches. Powder, you're here. I am. Powder's in the building. So now we got the whole crew. We got Powder. We got Mike Cadlick on with us tonight. Again, from CLNS Media. So let's just get started. Mike, we brought you on for a reason. We got the Patriots. So let's talk Patriots. Let's talk the draft to kind of kick it sure. off. So the NFL draft happened this past week. And the Patriots now have their 2023 NFL draft class. I'm just going to read it off really quick off of profootballtalk.com just to make sure that everyone knows that it's legitimate. And if I say any names wrong, Mike's going to help me and make sure that I say the names correctly. So a lot of pressure on you right away. Yeah, well, we'll do some pronunciation off the bat. Let's get it. I love it. All right. So the Patriots draft went as follows. Christian Gonzalez, corner out of Oregon. Keon White, defensive end out of Georgia Tech. Marte Mapu, safety, Sacramento State. Jake Andrews, center out of Troy. City So, guard out of Eastern Michigan. Antonio Maffi, guard out of UCLA. Here's the one I'm going to screw up. Kayshawn Bouti. Bouti. Boutet. See, I knew I was going to screw up one. I knew I was going to screw up one. Uh, Kayshawn Boutet, wide receiver out of LSU. Bryce Berenger, uh, punter from Michigan State. Demario Douglas, wide receiver out of Liberty. Amir Speed, corner out of Michigan State. And Isaiah Bolden, corner out of Jackson State. There's one that you missed. I'll cut you off. Okay. missed the kicker. They drafted a kicker in the fourth round, Chad Ryland. From, That's uh, right. They did. I forgot about that. You're and right. And I don't know why I don't know why PFF doesn't have it or uh, Pro Football Talk, but yeah, round four, pick one twelve, traded up for him. 
That's right. I forgot. Didn't they didn't they trade him? Uh wasn't that the Jets trade or they traded up to yeah. block the Jets or something? They traded they traded uh with the Jets. I forgot uh, about that. See, yeah. I'm glad I brought you on because I would have missed that one. <laughs> See, thank you. Appreciate it. But you got it. Just kind of a quick overview of this draft. A lot of people are gonna complain because let's call it like it is. And Mike, tell me if you've kind of, if you kind of heard this with just like the rumors and everything. A lot of people wanted offense. They wanted the wide receiver. They wanted the Jackson Smith and Jigbas. They wanted the Zay Flowers. You know, they wanted those big name picks. And not even, not even like wide receiver, but even like on the offensive line, like a Peter Skaronsky or a Broderick Jones or whatever. Those were the big names that were out there. But I said to myself, especially in round one, we know Belichick's MO. He loves to trade down, get more picks, and go defense, especially mm-hmm. in a division where you have Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa, and all the weapons in Miami. Now you got Aaron Rodgers you have to deal with with the Jets. So he's going to go defense. So he went with Gonzalez first round. And I'm going to talk about that pick in a minute. But it seems like a lot of people were really upset about it. When I took a look at the actual draft and and realized, okay, this is what they're doing. This is kind of their game plan. I actually like what they did. They got faster on defense. They added a ton of help, especially on the line, especially the guard position, a lot of depth to that position. Who knows what happens with Mike and Wenu? Who knows if he signs an extension or if they try to move him to tackle because he can kind of play anywhere on the line. But I really like what they did in this draft. Overall, I would give it like a solid B plus for this draft. I think Belichick did a really good job. Now, again, we got to see what happens in training camp and obviously in the regular season, but I really like what they did. So, Mike, you've kind of been following it. You've been on it since really the end of the season. I, I follow you yeah. on Twitter and have followed you for a while. And you you really know your stuff. And you, you've you been putting out a lot of mock drafts. Love reading those. We got right and, into uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely love it. So what are your thoughts just kind of to start with the Patriots draft as a whole? And then we'll break down kind of some individual uh, draft picks. Yeah, um, sort of in the same boat as you. Um, I, I liked it, even though, like you said, they didn't grab the, you know, the they didn't grab a top tier wide receiver or tackle, but they did grab a top tier cornerback in Christian Gonzalez. Christian Gonzalez was expected to be like a top ten pick uh, in this draft, according to many draft pundits. I thought that I thought he was the best corner. Uh, others had Devin Witherspoon from Illinois, but I thought Gonzalez was. So, look to be to be able to in the first round trade down three spots and then grab who I thought was the best corner of the draft. I thought the first round was an A plus. As they went into the you know the second, third, and fourth round, I thought it fell off a little bit. I liked the Keon White uh Keon White pick at 46. Um you don't know what's going to happen with Josh Uche. He's going into a contract here. So load up on the defensive line. That works. You know, that works. Marte Mapu, I felt like it was a reach. Um he's sort of Agreed. like a hybrid line. He's sort of like a lot uh hybrid linebacker safety similar to, you know, what you'll see with Kyle Duggar. Duggar obviously plays more um in the back end, but Marte really can do both. And then it also felt like they started to reach in the fourth round with the interior linemen with City Sow, Antonio Maffi, and Jake Andrews. Um, it did come out today from Albert Breer that they're going to try and work City Sow in as a tackle. So that changes things from my perspective a little bit because maybe they weren't they weren't just grabbing interior offensive linemen. They were grabbing offensive linemen all across the board. And they're going to work Sow in as a tackle. Um Antonio Mafia, maybe as you know, they're swing backup guard, and then you roll with Cole Strange and Michael Wenner this year, and then you see what happens after that. So middle rounds, I was I was fine with the um 
The kicker pick I loved because, like I had just said, it felt like for a while during the draft, as you know, the days and rounds went on, they were just sort of sitting in their position and then taking who they liked at that spot, and they weren't really aggressive. They just they they stood pat and they reached for guys they wanted. But when they identified the kicker, they said, that's our guy. We're moving up with conviction. We're going to use what we have in a six-round pick, move up in the fourth, and go get the kicker. So I, I liked that. And then they added two weapons in Keisha Butte and Demario Douglas, who I, I think have a real shot at making the team. Uh, two years ago, Butte was considered a first-round pick out of LSU. Had some character issues, some off-the-field stuff. He also hurt his ankle. But when he's on, he's a top-tier wide receiver talent. So I think if they can you know, wrangle him in, that was an A plus pick. So I thought it, you know, it was there were sort of some ebbs and flows, but overall I thought it was a solid draft. I thought they filled a lot of needs, uh, which again, that's obviously what you wanted to do. They had corner, corner offensive line and wide receiver holes, and I think they they did okay filling each of them. So I do too. I, I think more the corner and in offensive line, I think what like the wide receivers will see. And according to you, it sounds like these two guys, uh Boutte and and Douglas sound like they could be you know, guys that make the roster and could potentially help. Right. So take your word for it. And hopefully they actually do contribute powder. Your overall thoughts just kind of on the draft and what you saw from the Patriots on the first round draft night and the other draft nights as well. Yeah. <clears throat> like kind of you both said, everybody knew Belichick was probably going defense in the first round and didn't surprise me, but um, we talked about it in the past couple weeks, leading up to a draft, what they need to address. And I think, um, I think, like you guys said, definitely have getting one of the better cornerbacks, not the best cornerback in the draft, especially, like you just said, uh, trading down and still being able to get him was a huge win for the Patriots. And then um, you kind of both said, but being, I was a little shocked they didn't try and be aggressive earlier in the draft for wide receiver. That's why I thought their biggest need was offensively. And, but still, if the wide receivers they got – Laying the round turn out to be good, which have been something Patriots have been successful at in the past. Could be a big could be a big help in them later in the draft. So I thought it was a pretty good draft overall. So be honest, and and I, I want true genuine reaction. When they traded down from fourteen, were you guys pissed like I was, and like here we go again? So. No, because I saw that they only went down to 17. Right, exactly. But when you first saw it, before the details came out, you're like, before the, Yeah, before the details came out, before the team they went to, before the team they were trading with and just said they were trading down and nobody knew where or what, I was like, oh, come on, here we go again. Like, right. of course, like because I just, I wanted them to go get an impact guy. I knew that Gonzalez was on the board and I knew that uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba were on the board at 14. So I was like, when both of the guys fell to 14, I didn't think they were going to. So I was like, you have to go get one of those guys. Either of them can be impact players. When they traded down, I was kind of pissed. You know, you're right. But when I saw it was only the 17 and they picked up an additional fourth, I was like, okay, you're still pressing your luck a bit, but one of these guys is going to be there and you pick up another pick. So one again, once I saw the details, I was I was much better with it. Absolutely. And and that's kind of and that's kind of the the overall it's like the roller coaster, right? Like we're we're riding the yeah. lowest of lows, and it's like uh, great bell check, you know, he's just doing it again. You know, when we first saw it, we're like, oh, is he going to trade out of the first round entirely? But then, like you said, Mike, when it was when it went to 17 and then you got the additional pick later on in the fourth round, then it's like, OK, Belichick's doing something here and he's trying to add. So that's good. And you yeah. had JSN on the board. You had obviously Christian Gonzalez was on the board. Deontay Banks was on the board. Zay Flowers was still on the board. Like there were still right. 
there were a ton of players on the board that I said to myself, if you can take just one of these guys, like I'm good with it, don't screw it up. They picked Christian Gonzalez. So, so let's talk about him for a sec. Six one corner out of Oregon, a guy that's fast, a guy that can kind of play in man and in zone, and a guy that's really explosive and a guy that's going to be able to, in a couple of years, I think, be a true number one corner for this Patriots team. Now, with this corner room now, now you have all three Joneses, Jonathan, uh, Jack, and Marcus. You have now Christian Gonzalez in the fold, and you don't have to play guys like Miles Bryant in there anymore because I can't stand Miles Bryant. I'm yeah. sorry, Mike, if you like him, I'm sorry, but I just I can't stand him being on the field. It makes too many mistakes for me. And you have, again, Jonathan Jones, good solid corner. You got him for a good deal earlier in the offseason. You know, Jack Jones had some problems at the end of the year, staying healthy and kind of everything else, but he's shown flashes of being a good quality corner. And then Marcus Jones is just the best football player on the planet. I mean, he can do it all. Yeah. Special teams, defense, <laughs> offense. 2024 like he, MVP. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Literally. So, yeah. but Christian Gonzalez, I think, was an excellent, excellent pick because you needed some size, right? Especially mm-hmm. in your own division when you're dealing with Stefan Diggs, you're dealing with Jalen Waddell. Tyreek Hill is not big, but obviously he's still fast and can, you know, get down the field. And then obviously the Jets added some talent, Alan Lazard, and then they have some other weapons there. Garrett, Garrett Wilson. Wilson. Garrett Wilson's going to be a stud. Yep. I think he's going to be a stud. Oh, Garrett Wilson's going to be really, really good, especially with Aaron Rodgers yeah. as a quarterback. So Gonzalez, I feel like solid, solid pick. Like that was, I've got Patriots fans. I saw the the reaction on WBEI with Fitzy and Hart and Fitzy was going nuts and Hart was going nuts when they heard the pick. And I'm like, yeah. that's, that's reasonable because it's a good pick. Right so now, now the dust is settled. Mike, I know you wrote a, a piece for CLNS media about the 53 man uh, roster projection. But overall, now the dust has settled. We said we really like it. Are we really still liking what they've done? Or do you think they can go back and kind of be like, coulda, woulda, shoulda, maybe they should have taken this, maybe they should have gone JSN, maybe this, maybe that. Is there something you would have liked to see different? Me, personally, I'm okay with what they did right now. And I still think that there's a move that can be made in free agency, or I'm going to throw it out there. No, it's long, long and gone, but I, I still hold on hope. You can still trade for DeAndre Hopkins if you really want to, to try to get another receiver right. here. Just saying. But yeah, Jerry Judy too. You never know. Jerry, Jerry Judy, Judy would be the guy yeah. that I want. But I would like Judy. Um, yeah. As far as uh, look, as far as the dust settling on it, um, you'll always be able to question any draft. And I know that sounds cliche and it's sort of a cop out, right? But like anytime you go back through a draft board, and you can say, "Oh well, this team could have had this guy instead of this guy and this blah blah blah," right? Of course. But, Right. But so looking back on it now, or sort of as it settled, and obviously there's no conviction on any guy yet, right? But uh, there were a few picks. Um, I'm just sort of looking through what I uh, sort of what I thought with the picks as they went, right? And so, like, um, when they took uh, Amir Speed, the cornerback uh, from Michigan State, he's going to primarily be a special teamer. He's a long cornerback at 6'3, but look, I don't see him cracking their cornerback room by any means. I think that. They're going to probably stick with five in uh, – well, now they're going to move Jalen Mills back to safety. So your five corners are probably going to be Gonzalez, Jack Jones, Marcus Jones, John Jones, and dare I say Miles Bryant. <laughs> wow. I think Bryant still probably makes the team. I think he makes the team over a guy like Speed. The guy who may be able to crack it over him is Isaiah Bolden, who they took in the seventh round because he's yeah. a lot more dy- dynamic uh, kick return, power returner as well. So, But – like Amir Speed, for example, there was uh, Zach Koontz was still on the board, a tight end from Old Dominion, who yep. 
is like six eight athletic freak. I think he scored out as like a ten point oh on the RAS score, um, which is basically just if if you don't know or if listeners don't know, it's essentially a calculation that um takes every metric from you know the combine and your height and weight and puts it together and essentially tells you how athletic you are. And Zach right. scored a ten out of ten. He's like the most athletic tight end ever. Um, so you only have Hunter Henry and Mike Gesicki under contract this year. And you didn't take a tight end in one of the, mo- the deepest tight ends, cla- tight end classes we've ever seen. And Zach Koontz was sitting there for you at two fourteen, who I thought could have been, you know, a third round pick at his height, at his, at his ceiling. So that felt like a miss out. Um, another one, you took the receivers late in Butte and Demario Douglas, who I think have super high ceilings. So I think those were great picks, but even earlier on when you took, uh, Jake Andrews, the center from Troy. Josh Downs was still on the board, uh, wide receiver from UNC, who mm-hmm. um, I think has a higher ceiling and a higher floor than a guy like Demario Douglas. So th- those are the ones where I'll kind of look back on it and be like, look, depending on what happens with David Andrews at center and say they have to move on to Jake Andrews this year, say David Andrews retires this year or next year, it, it, could, it could be a good pick having him in line, but – it just felt like there was more, you know, higher end talent on the board at those two slots. Okay. So a couple mid couple mid rounds, it sounds like that you yeah. might have liked to have back, but that's nothing crazy. Powder, right. now that the uh the dust has settled, what do we think? Any any changes you would have liked to see made? Um for me, I don't think there's much I would change. It's just obviously waiting to the season to see if these guys even make the like some of the later and round guys even make the roster, how they fit in. Are they like just special teamers that don't have a true impact or are they going to be guys who um, come through and they're guys that are later on draft picks that become maybe not stars, but impact players for the Patriots down the road. So I kind of want to wait till training camp and see how they kind of fit in with the Patriots. And then that's when I'll probably make my decision. Very fair, very level-headed take. But again, it sounds like the Patriots added to what they needed to add. They needed some corners. They got them. They needed some offensive line depth. They got that. A couple receivers that, like Mike said, have a ton of upside. Hopefully that's the case. So I'm good with it for right now. Just want to touch on one other Patriots thing, then we'll get to some Bruins and Celtics. Juju Smith-Schuster had some words to say. He was at the Celtics game, game one. Seems to be Seems to be enjoying his time in New England so far. Mike, you actually had the chance to interview him today. Do you want to just talk about a couple of quotes that stood out to you and what he kind of said and what do you think of Juju's just words so far? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Juju, obviously, Juju spoke today uh, down at Gillette for the first time uh, since becoming a Patriot. Uh, Obviously, as anyone would when their first time, they talk about a team. Very, very um, complimentary words from him. He, uh, He said that the reason he came to New England was Bill Belichick to be able to play for an A-plus head coach like Bill. Um, yep. Some other things that stood out, just uh, his relationship with Bill O'Brien so far and how the offense goes. He said, the playbook's amazing. Bill O'Brien's great. He's a great coach, makes everyone feel welcome. He was also asked if he thinks, and this this sort of goes into what we were just talking about with uh, the wide receiver room and the wide receiver depth. He was asked if he thinks that the Patriots have enough talent around Mac Jones to succeed. And he said, yes, most definitely, um, which I thought, again, He's not going to say, no, we need more. So that's kind of like, take that with a grain of salt. He's not going to sit there and be like, no, I think they should have made more moves in his first day with us. But (laughs) uh, no, he, he, he sounded with conviction. Like he, he thought that, you know, um, he also mentioned that 
like everyone's um, all the receivers versatility, the way they can play inside and outside, you know, line up in the backfield if they had to. Um, that makes it sound like Bill O'Brien has them in the in the room learning this offense and completely reshaping this thing to max out everybody's skill set. So um, I'm ecstatic. The, a couple other things. Uh, hardworking guy talking about Mac Jones um, says the sky's the limit for him. And uh, he is just he seems like he's ready to go. He sounds a lot more um, mature then people may think Juju Smith-Schuster is. I know everyone thinks yeah. of him as like, the, you know, the TikTok guy who dances on logos and posts everything and all of that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's just the uh, the one Patriot place brainwashing that has already gotten into him or if he is just 26 years old instead of the 20-year-old that he was when he first cracked into the league. Um, but no, it, it, it was good. He seems like, you know, good head on his shoulders and he's, uh, he's ready to work. And I think he can – I really think he's going to make an impact this year. I um, When they let Jacoby walk and – Signed Juju to the you know the three year deal. I liked it because look, they're the same age, I believe, and I think yeah. Juju has a lot higher ceiling. Um, Jacoby's a little bit more consistent, right? But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think uh, Juju has a higher ceiling, and to get him for, I forget the contract details exactly, but um, essentially, I think Jacoby got more guaranteed money, so there's a little bit more. So they they got him for cheaper, and I think he has higher ceiling. So I like the move. I think he's gonna have a. I do. I think he's gonna have an impact on their offense. I think they're gonna center a lot of uh of the way they play around him so i'm looking forward to seeing him on the field no i am too i'm looking for i'm really looking forward to seeing juju in yeah. the slot and looking forward to hit seeing the yards after the catch especially right. just breaking off some big plays and everything else too i'm really looking forward to seeing that this year yeah at gillette so and listen when they signed juju i was i wanted them to sign juju last year and the year before i like juju yeah. smith schuster i like his game i think that he can bring an element of explosiveness and an element of separation that the Patriots were missing last year in their, in that receiving room. So I really, really like Juju Smith-Schuster as a fit here with the Patriots. I think that he can do some big things, especially with an actual OC in Bill O'Brien this year, as opposed to right. the dumpster fire that was the Patricia Judge experiment last year. So thank goodness we're finally past that and we're moving forward. Yeah, the other thing on that, and I'll, as you bring that up now, just he uh... – Juju spoke about the offense and learning it. And he basically said that he feels like he's back in school again. He has flash. I saw that <laughs> he's up all night studying. Like it's, he, he talks about how complex the offense is, but he's also like it, it just, it's, he said, I think the word was amazing or fabulous. The playbook's amazing. So it just feels like there's real conviction in how they're going to run their offense this year at this time where last a year ago, it was like, nobody knew what the heck was going on, including Matt Patricia, who was supposed to be calling the plays. So, yeah, I, again, I think Patricia, the whole Patricia saga last year was the worst thing I've ever seen Bill Belichick do. Um, as great as the coach he is, that was a disaster, and it was uh, completely avoidable. So, look, turn the page, new leaf, let's roll. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was funny that Juju said that, uh, you know, he feels like he's in school again trying to learn this thing. That was very funny. I saw those yeah. quotes. And, by the way, talking about disasters and, you know, just like – failures and everything that's a perfect segue let's just let's let's get right into the bruins you got a couple minutes mike to talk bruins with us yeah i can chop it up for a few i suppose <laughs> all right so yeah. bruins uh if you bet on the bruins you must be puking your guts out right now so the bruins were i bet them before the season i had them before the season 20 oh. to 1 odds to win the cup and they oh. did that to me so you, yep. you poor thing you poor thing. I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. Terrible. That is terrible. But Bruins, last time we recorded, we're up three to one in the series. Lose game five in overtime. Lose game six in Florida, seven to five after having multiple one goal leads. 
and then they blow game seven at home, four to three in overtime to bow, excuse me, to bow out in the first round to the Florida Panthers in seven games. And I'm just going to open up by saying this. Did we really expect anything less? And and the reason I say this is because not game five, because in game five, you had the game one. Martian had a chance to win it in regulation on the breakaway. Couldn't finish it, whatever. They lose game five. Then game six, you're like, all right, they're in Florida. Maybe they close down on the road. Maybe they, you know, they, they get away from the garden. And then they lose seven to five. And then you're like, uh-oh. Like it's it's game seven. And just look at the last like 13 years at home in big game sevens. 2010 against the Flyers, lose. 2019 against the Blues, lose. 2013 against the Blackhawks, lose. 2023, they're up three to two with less than a minute left. And they give up. I don't want to say it's a cheap goal because it wasn't a cheap goal, but they gave up a, an awful goal after failing to clear out the zone. And then, I mean, let's be honest. When Florida scored that goal, I don't know about you guys, but I said to myself, they ain't winning this. Right. And that just took that took all the air out of out of the TD Garden. So now they're faced with a lot of questions. And Patrice Bergeron apparently was playing with a herniated disc in his back. Allmark was playing injured. Now we're starting to learn about the injuries that are coming out. You have a lot of questions about guys that are free agents. Bergeron's a free agent. Brady's a free agent. Orlov's a free agent. Bertuzzi's a free agent. And Hathaway's a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a lot of questions. I guess my my one question to you guys is, and this is kind of an open floor, what went wrong? Why is it that the Bruins get, get knocked out in the first round? And why are we not seeing them play more hockey in an attempt to win the Stanley Cup? What went from the regular season to the playoffs where it was working so well in the regular season that it just wasn't working in the playoffs? Again, just open floor, whoever wants to start. Go ahead. Mike, you I'll, want to start I'll, off? I'll sit I'll sit I'll sit back. You can you can start. All right. Um just from watching game, obviously, like Alan and I say every week, we're casual hockey fans, don't watch Tom hockey, but just Oh me too. Like... I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and nitpick. I'm I'm definitely a casual yeah. when it comes to hockey. Yeah. So. perfect. You fit right in. Yeah. yeah. But it just seemed like they were playing so tight. They weren't like I feel like all regular season long watching the highlights and everything, they're just loose. Letting plays come to them, not trying to force anything. And then even like the goal they gave up in game seven to tie it, they're just all crowded right around Swayman and not really going after Puck, trying to make a play to um, get out of the zone. Cause all they need to do is get out of the zone, kill it. And even like, even if they didn't score an empty net goal, at least waste some time and not let Florida just how they did it, just keep playing tic tac toe till they got an open man with a good shot. It just, just all series long, I kept watching the games, and the one thing I kept screaming at my TV was just get the puck out of the zone. Just, I feel like they were always with their backs to their nets, trying to play defense instead of being aggressive on offense and trying to score goals. I, I just felt like too many times the Panthers had the puck in the Bruin zone for what seemed like two minutes at a time. And maybe they didn't score every time, but they were getting a lot more chances and they were having games where they should have put games away, but they just couldn't seem to find a way to, like I said, get the puck out of the zone. And it just kept getting more and more frustrating as the series went on. They're perennial chokers. They choke, they choke. And I don't know why we continue to expect them to be anything better than that. Um, 
I put it on the players and again, this is from a casual standpoint, so don't, don't take this one. And I know you're, again, you're just chopping it up, but from what I understand, I put it on the players and I put a lot of it on Jim Montgomery who look, they got rid of Bruce Cassidy and all of a sudden Bergeron decided to come back and Jake DeBrusque sends his trade request and David Krejci decides to come back overseas. So that's huge. You get bringing in three guys. They clearly did not like what Cassidy was doing. You bring in Jim Montgomery, a clear player's coach who they all gravitate towards. It's all well and good. They play loose all season. They set the record. Uh, they rotate goalies regardless of, um, you know, who's hot and who's not. Yeah, Allmark is going to win the Vesna, but Jeremy Swimman could come in third or fourth for that thing. So, like, two solid goalies, you rotate them no matter what, and you play loose hockey and just play the best hockey ever, right? And then all of a sudden, Line shifts change, and I get the Bergeron and Krejci were hurt, so you kind of got to, you know, switch things up a bit, but it just felt like Montgomery overthought uh, trying to shuffle things up with their with the lines, and then Omar clearly hurt, like you said, and they still continue to play him and play him and play him, and then finally when it comes to game set. Look, I think they should have, if they were going to do a, a goalie platoon, they should have won every game, no matter what, win or lose. Olmark Swayman, Olmark Swayman. I know that's easy to say now because had they won the cup on Olmark's back, and we would have said, of course they shouldn't have, you know, done the goalies. But that's what revisionist history is for when it's, you know, you talk about sports. So I put a lot of it on uh, on Montgomery. But look, I love Patrice Bergeron. He's one of the best Bruins of all time. But this core is always going to be thought of as choke artists, right? I mean, 2011 now feels like an anomaly. Anomaly. So. On one hand, I'm like, man, I really want Great uh, Gene Bergeron to come back and run it back one more time. But at the same time, part of me is like, yeah, get the bad juju out of the building. Let those guys go, go into the sunset, re-sign Bertuzzi, you have pasta, and just, you know, turn over a new leaf with the young core that you can still uh, put together here with, you know, guys like DeBrusque and Pasternak and their defensemen are so young. You have Lindholm here for seven years. You have McAvoy here for, uh, I think, another seven as well pasta so it's just too bad because that's what these guys are going to be remembered for and that stinks because they're damn good hockey players and they just could never get the job they could never get the job done and it's too bad and it pisses me off (laughs) i'm so glad you said it mike because i agree with you they are perennial choke artists that's what they are they just found ways to lose and they found ways to lose on the biggest stage and you know what I am done thinking that they are ever going to win another Stanley Cup until they prove me wrong. Because guess what? Bergeron, like you said, probably going to be out the door. The guy has played through so many injuries. He's given his blood, his sweat, his tears, his body to the city of Boston. He deserves to go out into the sunset, enjoy time with his family. David Krejci, same thing. I think Krejci's more likely to potentially come back as opposed to Bergeron. But I could be wrong. But I think Krejci could be, you know, that Bergeron type if he wanted to come back for one more season. But, you know, keep the young core here. Jeremy Swayman, the young goalie that is looking to become that 1A. Like, Olmark was great this year, obviously. Yes, I agree with you, Mike. He's going to win the Vesna. Like, that's pretty obvious. But, again, this team just doesn't know how to get it done in the postseason. I'm not saying they're going to become this. But the last two years, they've given off some Toronto Maple Leafs vibes. You know, game sevens can't get it done. Like it's it's. We all make want... fun of the. We all make fun of the Toronto here as if we're not just as bad as they are, if not worse. Oh, exactly. As far it's... as choking goals, like oh it's yeah. Crazy. And one of my we have no my... right. We have no hill to stand on when it comes to the Maple Leafs. We don't not anymore because they got past the first round. They got past the Lightning, 
who won two right, Stanley exactly. Cups. So yeah, so they're they're in better shape. They have a right to talk, you know, a lot of smack right. and everything. But the thing is, this team, one of my one of my friends who I, I do another podcast with, he said, and he's a big Bruins guy, he said that he would fire Jim Montgomery. Now I don't agree with that. I think you should, you know, slow the roll a little bit. I think you should give him another season to learn, you know, with this core and everything, kind of get back to the playoffs, see what you can do. But man, it's amazing that Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand and Krejci and that core are forever going to be known as the guys that got lucky once. They couldn't finish the job another time. They could have finished it in 13. They could have finished it in 19. And they could have had 2023. They also could have had 2022 before COVID hit because they were they were going to win right. the President's Trophy during that season as well. And they looked unstoppable that season before everything shut down. That's another choke job, though, because they came back and then they just blew it in, in that in that year, too. Yeah, right? second round, I think. I think that was a second yeah, round exit. So, I think you're right. I mean, come on. They just, I, don't, I don't know. I really think that the Bruins are the biggest choke artists amongst the four Boston sports teams. I really do. Like, 100%. I, I mean, think of it. And I, I know we don't cross. Well, I should say we don't because we do all the time. I know Mike Felger doesn't like to cross sports, you know, wherever he is. But we're going to cross sports for a second. Look at the 2018 Red Sox. They were a wagon that year. Yep. Absolute black. And they finished the job. They got the job right. Done. So it, that goes to show just how tough it is. But Powder, just overall thoughts on just the Bruins and just kind of just ending thoughts on this season as we move into an offseason again of uncertainty. Yep. So I did see a graphic. I think it was right before, right at the beginning of game seven where it showed the graph maybe it was on twitter but i forget where it was but it showed the recent most recent teams to have the most wins or whatever in each of the four major sports it's the obviously 01 mariners the patriots 07 patriots the bruins this year and then the warriors in what year was that like 19 or 17 yeah whatever year they won 73 games they all failed to um, the Patriots and the Warriors both lost in the finals, where the Mariners and now Bruins both lost early in the playoffs. So it's just one of those things where it absolutely sucked to watch, and and especially like all year we're saying how good the Bruins were playing, how much fun it was to watch, and then for them to lose like that. I know you and I were talking about disappointment, and I. I kept saying the whole time, like, the Stanley Cup playoffs are probably the best playoffs because the teams are the cl- the talent is the closest. I think in basketball, the better teams most of the time, obviously not every time, but most of the time win. Same thing with baseball, most of the time the better teams win. Football, you see it a lot. Who's ever the higher seeds most of the time make it to the Super Bowl. But hockey, you have those 8-1 upsets, those, those upsets, and – I do think it's a disappointment losing in the first round, but I think the season they had with the expectations they had, it was a great regular season to watch. And I can't be too disappointed with the, with the whole season, but obviously the outcome is very disappointing. That's an articulate way to put it because it was so much fun. Like if you're a betting man like Mike, it's so much fun to you know watch and win some money off yeah. this team that was so dominant during the regular season. Definitely. But then again, 
and, and I saw this on Twitter too. It's and awful. <laughs> it is. Yeah, like I'm like rehashing all these thoughts that just came through my head the last three days. It's like they were they were there, and they, not only did they lose in the first round, they were up three one, and they were then they blew it, but then they were up three two with a minute left in Game Seven, and it's like. Yep. It's just awful. It's it's awful. It, it it's, is. It's terrible. And and this was on Twitter. This was an, a legit argument on Twitter. I I forget who put it up. Might have been Solak and Bertrand. I'm not sure. They said who had the bigger choke job, the 23 Bruins or the 07 Patriots? That's easy. It's the 23 Bruins. Easy oh, yeah. because at least the Patriots made it to the Super Bowl and they were one minute away from winning the Super Bowl. Like the Bruins didn't get out of the first round. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a choke job. Like. You could have had more of an argument if the Bruins made it to like the Stanley Cup finals and then lost in the finals. Then you can have a legitimate conversation about it. But to not even get to the second round when you have all this talent, all this momentum, you have the Vesna winner, you have some of the best defensive pairings in the NHL. Yep. And credit to Don Sweeney. Like, I know this is a weird statement to say, but Don Sweeney does not deserve any slander at all for this season. The only okay. thing that you could slander him for was signing Mitchell Miller which that was its own saga for not even a week. But regardless, besides that one move, he pushed all the right buttons. He added when he should have added. He went out and got Orlov, got Hathaway, got Bertuzzi, tried to put talent around this team to win it. He did his job. So nobody should be blaming him and nobody is blaming him, which I'm glad Montgomery deserves some blame and the players deserve the blame, rightfully so. And that I understand. But again, this team just had it all lined up for them, had home ice throughout the playoffs, everything else, and they just decided to blow it. And I'm not going to have any faith in them going forward in the playoffs until they prove me wrong. Regular season, maybe. Like, you could say, okay, if they have another good regular season, fine. The playoffs, forget it. They need to get it done. And maybe Mike's on to something. Maybe maybe we just need some better, you know, juju, just like – but the whatever that is, sprinkle some stuff around the garden and or sage or whatever, and yeah. you know get the bad vibes out of there. But I or, I don't know. I don't know. Move on from them. That's it's tough to say, but I think you just got to clear house. And just you might have to set the whole thing. Yeah, you you might have to. Last year you, you you said okay, let's replace the coach, and the coach did fine. But now it's you know out with the old and and in with the new. You know, so again, tough way for the Bruins to go out, but. We'll follow along in the offseason and see what happens. Let's go to our last talk of the night. We'll talk Red Sox next week because the Red Sox, they, like, there's not a lot going on with them. They're they're 16 and 14. We're all happy about it. There's some topics we can talk about next week with that. But let's talk Celtics. Before we talk Celtics, real quick, Powder, you want to give a shout-out to our sponsors at A&B Kitchen and Bar? Yeah, real quick, Legends Lingo, like I say every week, is graciously sponsored by A&B Kitchen and Bar and A&B Burgers. A&B Kitchen Bar is located in Boston, Massachusetts. Rice Right across the street from Tegan. Obviously, Bruins are out of the playoffs, but Celtics are still in. And you want to get in the atmosphere, but maybe not tickets. Go across the street to A&B Kitchen and Bar. Get a great burger. Get um, great seafood, whatever you may have. Have a great drink. And make sure you tell them the Legends Lingo Boys sent you. Shout out to our friends at A&B Kitchen and Bar. Mike, we got to get you down there. Have a good burger. Have good a... food. I've been there. I've been there, there you actually. go. Before Bruins game. Good, good place. There you go. We know the owners. They're uh, they're good people. Oh, there you go. Good stuff. Yeah. Very yeah. solid people. So next time, tell them the Legends Boys send you. Maybe they'll give you like 10% off your, your meal or something like that. Will do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last topic, Celtics. So the Celtics, they're, they're, it's like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? There's two sides of this. So on one hand, they advance out of the first round. 
They actually advance Bruins. Take notes. They advance out of the first round. They beat the Hawks in six games. Probably a little longer of a series than we all wanted, but they finally got it done. Played game one Monday night of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Philadelphia 76ers. End up losing 119 to 115. And this is the opening take that I have for the Celtics real quick. I'm sick and tired of people that are blaming Joe Missoula for this team's failures. Does it now? I know you might say like, well, Al, you just blame Jim Montgomery. Yes, but not entirely. See, Jim Montgomery pushed all the right buttons during the regular season for the Bruins. Joe Missoula did not. He was learning as he was going along. And Joe Missoula was thrown into a situation. Like no one was expecting, everyone was expecting a change to come within the Bruins head coaching position at some point. Nobody was expecting Joe Missoula to be the head coach coming into this year. It was supposed to be Ime Udoka's second year. He was going to, you know, keep that defense, uh, improve the offense a little bit and get back to the finals with Ime Udoka at the helm. And then the stuff with Udoka goes down and then Missoula takes over. But at this point, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, it's on the players. The players are the ones that need to come hungry. The players are the ones that need to bring the intensity and the focus. Al Horford, after game one, said, we we probably lost, and I'm paraphrasing here, we probably lost a little bit of focus with Embiid being out and, and intensity and stuff. You can't do that in the playoffs. You were given a gift. The Milwaukee Bucks were the number one seed. They got bounced in the first round by the Heat, the eight seed of Miami Heat. Now you have home court for the rest of the playoffs. And by the way, if you get to the finals, you have home court in the finals too. Because you have the better record over everyone in the West, including the Nuggets. So why is it that we're still talking years later about intensity and passion and playing with pride? Why are we still talking about this? And for the love of God, stop with the costly turnovers at the end of the game. Like Malcolm Brogdon, you were brought in here to be that piece that comes in and makes the right play at the right time. You're yeah, throwing the ball the to Tyrese Maxey. Right. <laughs> like, I could have thrown that pass to Tyrese Maxey. I could have just said, here you go, silver platter. Like, I, I would have rather him, and I know it's like Monday morning quarterback, but I would have rather him just held the ball, take the 24-second violation, and let Philadelphia come down and make a play. At least you can make a stop on defense. But – like Jason Tatum showed up, Jalen Brown showed up, Brogdon before the turnover had a really good game. Al Horford was playing defense and getting rebounds in a timely manner. I think you need to play Rob Williams more. Like he needs to be more involved, especially when Embiid comes back. Like you deal with the foul trouble when it gets there. You can sub in, you know, guys like Grant Williams and even Blake Griffin if you need to, just for some size and just some physicality. But my takeaway is, I mean, this series isn't over. I have Celtics in six. I think they're going to win the series in six games. But if they don't win game two, that's just spelling disaster. They need Game two is a must win. And I think they're going to do yeah. it. But, again, they don't make it easy on themselves, and I'm sick and tired of it. Just kind of open floor, general, just Celtics. Actually, let's start with Powder, then we'll go to Mike Powder. Just general Celtics, just kind of thoughts, whether it's the Hawks series or the, the 76ers series, whatever you want. Um, yeah, it was good to see him, obviously, like you said, advance on like the Bruins. But in game one, you don't have Embiid, who um, is one of the best players in the whole NBA. Obviously, they have James Harden, but that's really what you should focus on all game. He Don't let him score 45 points. Shut him down, make the rest of the team beat you. And obviously, he was able to get his shots, and 
he's one of the most deadly scorers in the game still. He's been like that for a decade now, and he's, it's just frustrating to see the Celtics, who our team that is mostly known for their defense, obviously has very have some very good scorers, but it's a team that last year won on the backs of their defense. Seeing them let a player score 45 points in game that you go up 1-0, at home court, it just puts the pressure on the 76ers. They didn't do that. Now the pressure's on the Celtics. I do think, like you said, Al, they will win game two, but that game one loss is a tough one to have when you could easily go one nothing and have all the momentum going your way. Yeah, you talk about um, you know playing against the best player in the NBA, Joel Embiid, right? And I don't know if he'll be back for game two. I'm not entirely sure on the prognosis. I know he's going through um, what seems like a rather serious knee injury, so I don't know when he'll be back. But you knew he wasn't going to be there game one. That mm-hmm. was your chance to just mm-hmm. jump on these guys right off the bat and go and, you know, put a pounding on them. And they, they had it in the first half. At least offensively, they they were shooting the hell out of the ball, and but they couldn't stop anything on defense. And so, uh, yeah, it's just – it's too bad that they couldn't, you know, they couldn't pull one out without Embiid when they knew Embiid wasn't going to be there. Instead, they let James Harden – Hook all over them, score all over them, and then, like you said, they just they never make it easy on themselves. They'll never make it easy on themselves, no matter what. They may come out on top, but I mean, you look at the Buck series last year, right? They they go down three games to two, and then Tatum needs to pull out a forty-five piece in Milwaukee just for them to come home, and then Grant Williams has the game of his life from three. And so, like, they can't just look. They're the best team left, but they again, like you said, that that's the name of the game. Really, is they don't make it easy on themselves. They don't just go out and step on their throats when they have to. They always make it too hard, and that's going to probably come back and bite them again just like it did last year against Golden State. So, look, I, I have more confidence in them than I did in the Bruins in hindsight because mm-hmm. the, the Bruins are those chokers. The Celtics, they might have a little bit more of a, you know, a dog in them, but, yeah, again, last night was too bad because you had, you had the opportunity to go up 1-0 and take control of the series without the best player in the NBA, or at least the MVP on the court, and now you – you run the risk of dropping another one at home and uh, going back to Philly down 2-0. So, right. or 0-2. So, no bueno. No bueno at all. But but honestly, bueno in the sense of Joel Embiid if he comes back because then the Celtics will stick with their game plan that they had for yeah, when Embiid is, is on the floor, right? And, right? and not to discredit, Mike, what you're saying because it's true. You got to take care of business game one, especially when a star player's out. Absolutely, you have to. But maybe this is the wake-up call they need because with That's the Hawks, I mean, the, the Celtics knew the Hawks were the Celtics knew they were better than the Hawks. They knew that they had a better team, they had more depth, better three point shooting. Now it's a different series, right? Because with Atlanta, they were one of the worst three point shooting teams in the NBA, and now all of a sudden you're playing Philly, who's the best statistical. Actually, sorry, I shouldn't have said that word because that's not a word. The best, actually, no, it is a word. I don't know why I just said that. I'm a math teacher. I should know that, but the best. Statistical three-point shooting team. Don't you shake your head, Mr. <laughs> former accountant. They are the best three-point shooting team in the NBA. The 76ers are. And they have good shooters. James Harden showed that he's a good shooter. Bias Harris, Tyrese Maxey. They all can shoot the basketball really well. But now the Celtics need to work on. They were one of the best teams in the NBA at guarding the three-pointer. They have to do it again. Or not again. They have to do it in general. On Wednesday night, you win game two, you split in Philly, you go back to Boston in game five, you win game five, and then you close it out on Philly's home floor in game, in game six. That's why I see Celtics finishing it in six. 
I mean, can they win both in Philly? They realistically they can. They can win in Philly. Why can't they win in Philly? They know how to win. They know how to win. They know how to go in there and spoil good times for Philly. They did it back in what was it, 2018? I think they did it for 2019. They won both the in Philly. Year? Is that the confetti? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, the time confetti exactly. Yeah, but but right, but point being, they know how to they know how to win when their backs are against the wall. Now their backs are against the wall, and they realize they go down to nothing. It's going to be really hard to win four out of five against that Philly team that will be playing with a ton of confidence. So credit to the Celtics for beating the Hawks, but now you're not playing the Hawks. You get by the Sixers, and I love your chances against either the Heat or the Knicks. I don't care that the Knicks took care of the Celtics during the regular season. That's the regular season. Playoffs is playoffs. Having four out of seven on your home court will help, and you can beat both those teams to get to the finals. And if Golden State loses somehow to the Lakers or in the Western Conference Finals, then I'll love their chances even more. But right now, take care of the Sixers, which you should do. So, any final thoughts on Celtics, guys, before we kind of wrap up? No. No, that doesn't. I think it's good. They uh, they they have to come in and step on their throats. And it's up, like you said, it's up to them to do it. So, we'll see. We'll see indeed. So in conclusion, Patriots, good overall draft and good vibes heading into the training camp portion of their next season and into the potential regular season 2023. The Bruins are huge choke artists and the Celtics, we'll see what happens. They should take care of Philly. Mike, it was a pleasure to have you for the first time, hopefully not the last. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you having me on. Um, It was obviously, this was fun. Too bad we couldn't be talking about a Bruins win, but uh, yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me on. uh, No, of course. Shout out your social, shout shout out your socials real quick before and where people can find your work before we uh, head out. Oh yeah. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Cadlick and uh, read all my Patriots sports betting and uh, general Boston sports coverage at clnsmedia.com. But yeah, that'll all be on my Twitter. So follow me on Twitter and that's where you'll find all my stuff. Love it. Again, rate and subscribe to the Legends Lingo Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Anchor, and everywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Be sure to check out studentunionsports.com again. If you want to be a contributor to Student Union Sports, make sure to DM the Student Union Sports Twitter or Instagram or their Facebook page. They'll get back to you very, very shortly. If nothing else, for episode 220, that is Mike Cadlick of CLNS Media, along with Tom Powder Cadmus, the ever-handsome Tom Powder Cadmus. I'm your host, Alan Hegan. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week for episode 221. Yes, sir.